Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. I am Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge, and today he's one of the most prolific small business authors of our time with critically acclaimed books, including Profit First, The Pumpkin Plan, Fix This Next, Get Different, and Clockwork, and the revised vision of Clockwork, which we're going to be uh, discussing today. Welcome back to Conversations at the Edge, and where are you calling in from today? It's a joy to be back with you. Uh, I'm calling in from New Jersey, northern New Jersey. So today we're here to talk about your newest revised version of the book Clockwork. So, you know, for those who have not read the original version of Clockwork, what's the 30,000 foot view of, of the methodology? Is the job of an entrepreneur is not to do the job, it's to create jobs. So here's the context. 14% of the world population will ever start or build a business. 14%. 10, um, 20% of that 14% will actually be successful, be doing on a sustained profitable basis. That means 3% of the population builds a successful business. And it also means that 97% of the population is looking for a good job with a good company. And so our job is to create, create good companies that provide good jobs for people who want the work. So the first tenant I tell entrepreneurs is if you're doing work, you're stealing jobs. Our job is to create a company, have a vision, and organize people to help it make that vision of reality. The second thing is the ultimate acid test to prove that your business can run without you is this concept called the fortification. You and I were talking about before we went live here. Ever since I wrote the original book five years ago, I've been doing this. One of the benefits of being an author is that you're actually held to the tenants you teach. So I've been taking a fortification every year. Last year, I took nine weeks. But what I discovered is Almost every business, including the folks listening in right now, moves in monthly cycles, meaning you have to track clients or prospects, you have to serve them or deliver your product, you have to handle employee issues, you have all administrative work behind, you got financials, and you do that every single month. And at the end of the month, we close out the month and we start the next. What's, the, what's this month's or quarter goals? And we keep on repeating over and over. So it, my conclusion was, oh, wow, if an owner can be extracted from a business for four weeks, that will touch on 90% of what the business does. So theoretically, if we can be extracted for four weeks, we can be extracted into perpetuity. So one of the key approaches to designing a business that runs like clockwork, and, and you can do this right now, is to go on your calendar next year or two, book out a four-week vacation. And if, if that concept gives you some agita, that's your subconscious telling you, oh, we don't have an efficient business here. That is a call to do it. And uh, one last thing is I want you to realize when you, schedule this. Some people are like, well, I don't want my employees to think I'm going to the beach drinking Corona's while they sweat for me. This is the ultimate form of empowerment. Our company's tiny. I have 10 employees here. Our other building 15. I got 25 employees total. It's We're small. But here's what's amazing. It's interesting. When I left, my employees came back to me and said, we've never felt so empowered. We were put in positions of leadership. We were able to do things um, and make the decisions. We had total control. That was exciting. But we subsequently implemented our president uh, decided to do this two years ago, every single employee gets a four-week vacation. And it's not about the benefit to them. That's part of it. But it's the benefit to the company. You see, when, when I'm not around, the company has to have other people cover for me. 
But when our president isn't around or a graphic designer or a social media specialist, Jeremy, our social media guy, when he's not around, he has a backups in place. So now that he goes on these annual four vacations for himself, he's built redundancy for him. And listen, everyone is going to have a four vacation at some point, you included, our, ourselves included. It's the question is, do we deliberately do this? Is there a deliberate disruption to our business, our absence, or is it something that's thrust upon us because we're sick or someone needs us? It's going to, or an employee leaves. It's going to happen. So let's intentionally put disruption in place to build that muscle for the business. So one of the things um, in the original clockwork, and I, I think it's probably in the revised version as well, is about this productivity myth. And that even when times are really great for the business, it doesn't necessarily lead to the more time, the more freedom to get away and take vacation. And I'm just, I'm curious, why does this so often like end up in a, in a, in a cycle of just busyness rather than real productivity? I interviewed a productivity expert because my thought was, okay, the need is for our businesses to run itself. Therefore, if we can be more productive, there's the answer. I met with one of the leading authorities in productivity. And I asked him, I said, you know, how do we achieve this? And I remember almost like we were like in kind of, some kind of speakeasy. He looked around and then he looked at me and said, productivity is crap. I was like, what? You're the productivity expert. He goes, no, there's, there's, a, there's a problem with it. What happens is productivity, we have a, a, a tranche of time. We had eight hours in the day, for example, that we have to get all this work done. Productivity allows us to get that same volume of work done in less time. So now we're getting all that work done in six hours. The problem that presents itself is now we have a two-hour free time. So what do we do? We take on more work. And with taking on more work, we have to become more productive to crunch it down again. And then we take on more work. We become impacted with work. And should there be one disruption to the day, everything goes out of control. That's the problem with productivity. Now, productivity is necessary. Like, Whoever said, you know, let's just stick with square wheels was an idiot. I mean, someone's like, oh, here's, here's a better way to approach this. Let's do round wheels. But there's a certain point where constantly improving your own output um, has depreciating returns and maybe even negative returns because you're running at risk. Clockwork is about organizational efficiency. It's about organizing resources, people, technology. You can even organize your clients to do work um, in a way, in a fashion that is optimized. And one of the key elements I talk about here too is matching up, and maybe people want to write this one down. Don't match people's talents to their titles. Match their talents to the tasks. You know, I, I'll give you an example. I need a receptionist. And that means someone that's really good at answering the phone, can do light data entry, um, can, can greet people coming in, um, you know, whatever, whatever the elements are. And I try to find the perfect person match this. But it's hard to find someone that's great at data entry and, and, and great and charismatic for interfacing with people. So the better approach is more like a web-like structure and match up individual talent. Someone that's great at data entry may also be my sales guy. And ironically, this is what happened in our own company. We found our salesperson is a great closer, but not a great farmer or rapport builder. We took the person that was serving in the reception responsibility. He was very charismatic and said, hey, we also want you filling frontline sales. The salesperson, we said, you're really good at the technical details. We need you doing data entry. So we reorganized talents to tasks, built a more, much more like web-like structure as opposed to the traditional pyramid chart, the stronger, more nimble company. I like that. Thank you. And I think it's a good, um, a good transition to, to my next question. You have this acronym, 
QBR that I think is at, at the forefront of a lot of what, what clockwork is about. It stands for Queen Bee Roll. So I'm curious if you can share what is that um, and what was the transition from how it was being used in the original clockwork to now how you're using it today? Yeah, th this is the most important concept of the book. It's the fork vacation test is massively important. Uh, and someone was saying, oh, uh, I think Emery's talking about how the impact is on other people. Like I shared in our company, everyone takes a fork vacation. I talk about the deployment of that and the results you may see by actually distributing workload by forced redundancy. Well, this QBR um, in the original book, I talk about being the heart of the business. I learned it using a technique called biomimicry. I took what nature's figured out, how to build a beehive very quickly, very efficient organization, how to translate that to a business. Well, in a beehive, the most important function or role that happening happens is the production of eggs. Eggs keeps the beehive alive. Beehives li bees live for a very short period of time. The bee that supports that production is the queen bee. Now, the analogy breaks down a little bit here because what's most important is not the queen bee, but it's the role she's serving, producing eggs. If the queen bee is failing to produce eggs, the bees will spawn a new queen and get rid of the current one. In our business, there is a single most important role, the production of eggs. Like, what is it? And once you know it, we need to make sure it's always running along. And if the people or persons, uh, the person or persons that are supposed to be doing it aren't doing it well, we need to see something and say something immediately. In the old book, I did it through deductive logic. I'd say, well, where are all the things you do in your business and rewind by saying this is less important than that and you find your most important thing. And uh, it's inevitably the thing you stake your reputation on. Well, I had one reader reach out and say, oh, I figured out my QBR. And I said, what is it? They said, it's invoicing. Nothing more important than invoicing. It had to go out on time. That's how we make our money. Invoicing's everything. I said, okay, do you really stake your reputation on that? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, let's call your customers and ask them how important is invoicing? Is that the most important thing we do? And he's like, well, no, they care about something else. And that became my epiphany is instead of doing this deductive logic, we'll first start off by saying, what is the biggest commitment you make to your customers? I call it the big promise. For me as an author, of all the things I do, the most important thing I do and tend to do is simplify entrepreneurship. Uh, FedEx, the most important thing they do is deliver packages on time. So that's the promise that they're making. Then we ask of all the activities, what keeps the hive alive? What's the one activity that's most important to deliver on that? So for me, I do speaking, I do interviews, I write books, but of all those things, I better write great books that simplify entrepreneurship. So to me, the QBR is write great books. And what that means is I call it in season. I'm in season now, I'm writing a new book um, about uh, employee engagement, which is a compliment to, to clockwork. I write four hours a day. And so my team here knows if we're not, if Mike's not writing four hours a day, we're in trouble. Um, Cause that's what we're staking our reputation on is simplifying entrepreneurship through great books. FedEx, much bigger company. They don't have 25 employees, like 20, 25,000 probably in the department. I mean, they're huge. They don't have one person serving a QBR. They have multiple. And uh, they promise to deliver packages on time. We ask of all the activities, what's most important. They have print shops. They have a customer service department, but it's the it's the logistics management that's most important. Imagine FedEx saying, you know what? We're going to cancel our logistics. We're going to put everyone into the customer service department. The headline in the newspaper next week will be every single package lost by FedEx, but they're super friendly about it. You know, a, a $50 billion company is on the verge of bankruptcy. They're going to go out of business overnight 
for failing to do the most important thing, the QBR. Now, here's the interesting thing. Flip it, and FedEx says, uh, you know what, everyone in customer service, we're going to ditch that. We're going to go to logistics. We're going to double down. Now the headline says, FedEx not answering the phone, but every package delivered, nothing missed. FedEx may be compromised. They may be hurt because they're not answering the phone, but they won't go out of business. The QBR is that essential activity that if you don't do it well, you're going to go out of business. And if you do it well, you'll flourish. And the fact is, Alex, for most small businesses, we don't really know what the QBR is. So we kind of touch on it, kind of don't. And that's why most businesses kind of step up a little bit and step back down, step up and step down. We don't flourish because we don't know what the QBR is. So you also have this concept of the four D's for, for time management, uh, yeah. running your business. Now I think you've added a fifth D in, in the new book. Can you talk a little bit about the D's and why you yeah, added so a fifth? There's four, four elements that must be functioning in business. And as an owner of a business, we have to elevate ourselves like a throttle to the highest end. I was, uh, having dinner, Michael Gerber and I spoke together. This is quite a few years ago, a decade ago, 10 years ago, we both keynoted together in Mexico and we went out for dinner. And we were talking about his book, E-Myth, which is you know, an industry defining or category defining book. Don't work in a business, work on a business. But one problem that presented itself is most entrepreneurs work in the business harder and harder until one day, hopefully the business will switch to working on it. But it isn't a switch, it's a throttle. So clockwork is homage to Gerber's work in versus on, but it's the throttle of the step to get there. The first D is doing work, right? That's what the technician does. The second level is deciding, and it's often a trap, but it's an important phase that we move through. This is where we tell other people what to do, task rabbiting. When they have a question, they come back to us saying, what should I do now? And we go, oh, you should do that. We make a decision for them. So deciding is the assignment of tasks, but the control of decision-making. We often say we're delegating, but we're not. Excuse me, we're not. We're task rabbiting. Because the next level is delegation. Delegation is the assignment of outcomes. It's where if you were my boss, Alex, and you said, hey, you know, invoicing is important. Uh, let's have a conversation why it's important. And I say, well, you know, I think it will uh, we'll be able to bill on time and bill accurately. That will support our company and be fair to our clients. Then you would tell me, great, get us there. We have a best practice. Follow that. But if you see disruptions or challenges, navigate around it. And when I come back with a question, you would say, well, Mike, I hired you for that thing on your shoulders, that brain of yours, you make the decision. So delegation is the assignment and empowerment of someone of out over outcomes. The highest level is designing. Designing is where you have the vision for where you want to take your business and you organize the resources to get there. It's strategic work. It is the hardest work. It is the most caloric burn. And that's why many entrepreneurs, and I'm guilty of this, it's just easier just to do work because it's mindless and it's, it's exhausting, but at least I don't, uh, I can see results. Strategic thinking, it takes time, takes a lot of coordination, and it's a big caloric burn. The funny thing or the ironic thing is a CEO, a really good CEO will be making, what, three or four strategic decisions a year that transform a business. That's what, what the CEO is paid for. The fifth D came out of research out of England, identified that the average knowledge worker this is kind of true for uh, blue collar too, but the average knowledge worker is productive 3.2 hours a day, regardless of hours worked. So you can work 10 or eight or five, and the output is about 3.2 for everyone. So the conclusion was like, wow, we need downtime to recharge. Uh, in fact, our office here, one little secret of our 25 folks here, the majority are part-time employees. They're taking downtime on their own, whatever that may be. 
But when they come into work, we still give them eight hours of work. They just got to pack it in in those 3.2 hours. Now, they actually have four-hour work days or five-hour work days. But the key is this, that we need recharging time. And we, as a business, can afford to. So we do for our full-time employees. We know you can't just be cranking eight hours straight. So we give mechanisms to recharge. And then when you are going full throttle, you can be so much more productive as opposed to exhausted. There's a single word that you share with entrepreneurs that changes kind of their their role of owners and brings about a business that that can run itself. So can you tell us about that word that you share? Yeah, it's probably the most important word you can use. And it's very awkward. I challenge, if you want your business to run itself, I challenge you to use the word shareholder as the category of how you define yourself. There is no greater driver in humanity than the need to comply with our self-identity. You know, so if I say I suck at math, I'll prove myself right by not doing any math or practicing or studying. We have to comply with it. The word entrepreneur, I love that word, but it's become bastardized. And there's a lot of, you know, pretty mainstream pundits who say entrepreneurship is hustle and grind. Entrepreneurship is work your tail off. And uh, I disagree 100%. Entrepreneurship has always been about envisioning a future and taking the risk of organizing resources. And when I say resources, it's money, it's people, it's technology, it's vendors, it's clients to get to that vision. That's what an entrepreneur is. Now, the reason I like the word shareholder is I'm a shareholder in Ford. Um, they sent a stock distribution check. I own 100 shares. They sent me a distribution check for 13 bucks last quarter. I didn't run back to the factory and say, what do I need to do to earn my $13 here? I didn't return it to them. I took the money because I've taken on risk. The value may go up or may go down. Secondly, I render opinion. They have, uh, they vote for the board of directors. I vote for the board of directors. They other make, they have other strategic decisions. They reach out to shareholders. When we call ourselves a shareholder of our own business, we should be, we will behave the same way. Share in the profit for taking on extraordinary risk, starting a company, investing in a company, and give it strategic direction. Vote for the leadership team, or if you're too small for that at this point and you are the leadership, then take the strategic direction. You'll probably be involved in all of that. That's what a shareholder does. So it's very awkward. Next time you're at a cocktail party and someone says, what do you do? Stop saying I'm an entrepreneur. Start saying I'm a shareholder of a small business. But if you repeat that enough, like I have, all of a sudden your mind starts shifting to what your real responsibility is. And the last thing is, gives you the freedom to reinsert yourself in the business. You're not going to run yourself out of a job here unless you want to. If you want to sit on the beach and drink Coronas, good for you. But for me, once my business was up and running itself, I said, what are the things I want to do? I love being a spokesperson, kind of like what we're doing now. I love doing uh, public speaking, and I love writing books. So I've reinserted myself to do the things that give me joy. I have redundancy in all those places. We don't have time to explain it, but I do in case I'm not available. But by using the word shareholder, I remove myself first so I can reinsert myself in a joyful way. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.